So this preaching series that we're in the second week of, hopefully you should have received your card. The Apostles' Creed is what we're working our way through, which is a, a very old declaration, a statement of faith that has been used by Christians for thousands of years, since probably about the second century when it first came together, and has been used around the world, different denominations, some repeat it every week, uh, and we're just wanting to look and, and dive into this and unpack some of what it says. Not that it is scripture, and we never hold anything more important than God's word, the Bible, but it's a summary of key truths that are held in it, particularly in the New Testament. And so we're working through and we're looking at it, what it means. And each week, we're also taking the opportunity just to declare it because I think it's so important. It does us good to speak of things that are of God. So we're going to do that now. We're going to declare the Apostles' Creed together. And I'm going to invite you, if you're able to, just to stand with me as we do that. So if you could stand up. And hopefully we'll have it on the next couple of slides. We'll try to make it big enough so that we can read it together. Um, you'll see as we get through towards the end, it talks about, I believe, in the Catholic Church. Just for those of you who are concerned, we're, we're changing denominations and becoming part of the Roman Catholic Church. The Apostles' Creed is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. It's talking about Catholic in the terms of meaning universal. Okay, so just in case you're like, I can't say that, I don't believe, I'm not a Roman Catholic. That's okay, we're not asking you to be. We're saying we believe that we are one body in Christ, the universal church. That's just what that word means. Okay, so let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Fantastic. Please do sit down. Again, if you haven't had it already, you should have at some point received a, a, a printout of that, which you can have. You can declare it. Let these truths sink in. So last week, we were looking at the very first chunk of that. If you remember, I said that the, the structure of the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. In, in the, it refers to the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And last week, we were looking at God the Father, Almighty creator of heaven and earth, looking at God being one God. There is only one God. That's what we're declaring when we say that, that he's beyond comparison. There's nothing that comes close to him. He's God the Father, the source of all life, the source of everything, loving, providing, caring, that he is almighty, as well as being God the Father, he's also almighty, above all powers and all authorities. In fact, all powers and authorities get their power and authority from him. And an outworking of him being almighty is that he is the creator of all things, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. Nothing that exists, exists without him. And he sustains it all. 
And we looked at that amazing uh, just phrase that he is infinitely powerful and yet intensely personal father. And that it's not either or. We need to be really careful in our Christian walks that we, have a, we can have a tendency to lead on one aspect or the other, either dwelling on him being infinitely powerful or him being father. We need both and so that we can have a balanced view of God. Well, today we're moving on to the second person of the Trinity, his son. I get to talk about Jesus. I get to talk about Jesus today. It's every preacher's dream to talk about Jesus. Why would you want to talk about anyone else? So I'm going to get to talk about Jesus today, and I'm so excited. And, and really the main emphasis of what I wanted us to do today was to lift our eyes afresh and to, to perhaps raise our view of Jesus even higher because I think it's very easy for us to downgrade what we think of Jesus. But scripture is so clear that Jesus is so far above and so wonderful and so awesome as we've been singing. But they're not just words we sing, they are truth. So I want, us to, I want to use this opportunity to lift our eyes afresh and lift our view of Jesus higher and higher. So let's look at the chunk we're going to be considering today from the Apostles' Creed, uh, which goes like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now last week I said that there were, there was, the Apostles' Creed is not the only creed, and there's a, a later creed that came sort of 100 or so years later, called the Nicene Creed, and it's a fuller version. So the equivalent chunk, if you like, from the Nicene Creed, as you'll see up there, says this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. The reason why the Nicene Creed was fuller is because it was written to particularly address some of the heresies that were around, some of the wrong teachings that Jesus was something less than God, that he was perhaps just like a, a super being, a super created person. And so they, they added a bit more detail to the Apostles' Creed to kind of clarify, no, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about him being God. Don't, don't mistake Jesus for being anything less than God. And so you've got that fuller version. And some of, that, some of those words in the Nicene, you might think, oh, that sounds quite familiar to some of the carols that we sing. Yeah, because carols were based on these sorts of things, traditional teachings that have been passed down generation to generation. So like last week... We took our chunk in chunks. We're going to do that again this week. We're going to have two chunks today. Uh, And like last week, I want you to note that this section of the creed starts with I believe in. And just to refresh your memory, when when we're talking about that in this context, we're talking about trusting. It's a statement of trust. When we say I believe in God the Father Almighty, I believe in uh, Jesus Christ, his only son, It's a statement of trust. It's not just about head knowledge. It's not just a fact to know, oh yes, I know that. But it's actually a deep understanding in our heart and an acceptance in our heart that leads to action. Okay, so that's what we're talking about when we say I believe in. So let's look at the first 
chunk of this chunk, if you like. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This chunk is talking about Jesus being God's son. What a packed statement those few words have. You know, just seven words, but packed full. I want to briefly just talk through those and then look in a little more, a bit more depth uh, using a passage from Hebrews to do so. Jesus Christ, it starts off. I believe in Jesus Christ. We've got there, Jesus and Christ. Yes, tell me something uh, new there, Dominic. Jesus. Jesus was his name. Names are so important, as God revealed again to me this week. Jesus is his name. It's the same name as the word, the name Joshua, actually. And it means God saves. Yahweh saves. Or if you like, God to the rescue. So Jesus' name in itself was declaring what he was going to do. Jesus means God to the rescue, God saves. And there is no other name higher than Jesus. At that name, demons flee. At that name, sicknesses are banished. At that name, life comes rushing in. Jesus, it's a name full of life. God to the rescue, Yahweh saves. And the word Christ, it's not actually a name. Many of us that think, oh, Jesus Christ, maybe that was his surname. We can, we can get into thinking about that. You know, we can have it after, but no, Christ was more like a title. It's a Greek translation of the word Messiah, meaning anointed one. The term was used of kings in Jewish history. So David, for example, he was the anointed one. He was the Messiah at that time in their history. So it's saying he's ruler, he's king. On the way to uh, the conference this week, we passed a billboard uh, and it was advertising Game of Thrones. And it just asked the question, who rules the world? Who rules the world? And I was like, Jesus! Jesus rules the world! How can you even think anything else? But we... People do, and we do, don't we? We forget it. We can forget. But he's Jesus Christ. He's the ruler. So in the, in, in the name and title Jesus Christ, what we're saying is that he is both saviour, Jesus meaning God saves, and Christ, he's ruler. He's saviour and ruler. That's what that coming together of those two words means. Saviour and ruler. So I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in a saviour who's also a ruler. goes on to say, his only son, God's only son. You know, God's, the son of God was a title used to refer to a number of people throughout history, often prophets. But the son of God was only ever used of Jesus. He holds that title uniquely. He holds that title uniquely because he's co-eternal with the Father. He's always existed with the Father. He's always been and he always will be. When Jesus walked this earth, he walked with unique authority. You know, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that he didn't really enter into arguments. 
when the storm raged, he didn't have to persuade it to stop. He just said, be still. Jesus walked with authority that was unique to him. And he's uniquely son of God because he is part of the Trinity. Now I thought it'd just be worth pausing at this moment because Trinity is one of those words that gets thrown around and it's kind of this theological word. And you might flick through your Bible and think, I've never come across it. You're right, the word Trinity is never used in the Bible. But it's a summing up word that's used to say something about God and the way that we as Christians hold God. And what it's summing up is three statements about him. It's summing up that there is only one God. We hold to that belief. I said that last week. There is only one God. But that God is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that each of those persons is fully God. I'll say that again. The Trinity is saying that there is only one God, that there are three persons that are in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each person is fully God. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I've got that. Don't worry if you don't. It's all right if you're looking puzzled right now. I'm looking puzzled too. It's not something we are ever going to get our heads around fully. And that's okay, because God is God. You know, you might hear all sorts of analogies to help explain it. All of them fall short. You know, there's all sorts of things that are thrown out there that, try, that you can try and illustrate as a visual aid, but all of them fall short because God is God and he's so far above us. But what I want you to hear from today is that Scripture teaches, and this creed is declaring that Jesus is as much God as Father God is God. And the last part of this first chunk, Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. The phrase Jesus is Lord occurs nearly 300 times in the New Testament. Mainly in the letters. And the writers of the letters, people like Paul, Peter, they wanted the early church to know that Jesus is Lord. Now, to declare it doesn't sound that much to us at one level, but for them to declare it back then, it was at risk to their life because you were only supposed to declare one person was Lord in the Roman Empire, and that was Caesar. In fact, that was the phrase that would be used, Caesar is Lord, using almost exactly the same words, but obviously Caesar instead of Jesus. And they had to declare that. And if you didn't declare it, if you declared someone else, it's essentially you're rejecting the emperor and you could be killed. There was a high risk involved. But that's what the Christians were doing. They were declaring Jesus is Lord. And this word Lord, (coughs) for those of us who've been doing the Bible course and have got to that week, you'll remember it's a translation of Yahweh or Jehovah from the Old Testament. When when, When God appeared to Moses in the bush and said, I am who I am. I'm here. I am. The word there is Yahweh that is translated as Lord. So when the New Testament writers are saying Jesus is Lord, they're actually saying he is Yahweh. He is God. It's another way of saying 
Jesus is God. It's vital that we grasp this about Jesus. He was and is no ordinary man. He's not some super being. He is God himself. John Piper puts it like this. I feel strongly about this, that amongst those of us who have grown up in church and who can recite the great doctrines of our faith in our sleep and who yawn through the Apostles' Creed, that among us something must be done to help us once more feel the awe, the fear, the astonishment, the wonder of the Son of God, begotten by the Father from all eternity, reflecting all the glory of God, being the very image of his person, through whom all things were created, upholding the universe by the word of his power. What I want us to do now is just to dive in for a few minutes into the passage that John Piper is expressing when he wrote that. And that's Hebrews, Hebrews 11. So we're going to look at a few, uh, a few uh, verses from that, Hebrews 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14, which actually is the whole chapter, so not just a few verses, but the whole chapter. And we're going to go through and look, because this is such a rich, incredible passage that the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know his name, the writer to the Hebrews was expressing about Jesus such revelation. If you've never looked into this passage before, I strongly recommend that you go home and look at it and meditate on it because it is packed full. We've only got time now just to to flag up some of what is being said. But the writer has such a high view of Jesus that I think challenges all of us. Is our view up there with this writer's? So he writes, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. (laughs) Just realise it's Hebrews 1, not Hebrews 11. What an opening to a book! What an opening to a book to start like that! saying, over the years, God spoke through men and women. He spoke through prophets. But now he has spoken through his son. He's given his best. The word of God has become flesh. He's spoken through his son. And he still speaks today through Jesus. He's appointed him heir of all things, it goes on to say. Jesus will inherit everything. And then you get that amazing ending to the sentence. (laughs) Through him, through whom also he created the world. (laughs) What? Sorry? (laughs) Oh yeah, he, he also created the world through him. It's like me, just imagine, just sort of think about that for a minute. It's like me... If I was writing some sort of resume or a bio to introduce myself, I might say, uh, yeah, Dominic Long, he is a a husband uh, to a beautiful wife called Liz. He's got two fantastic children and uh, he used to be a primary school teacher and now he's a pastor of a church in Hatfield. Um, Oh, and he also enjoys gardening and spending time with friends. You know, it's just... 
The also is like an extra little detail I've just thrown in on the end to just, you know, a little extra something to let you know about me. And yet that's, this is what it's saying here. <laughs> Look what the also is here. Oh yeah, he also created the world. <laughs> this is the high view of Jesus that the writer of the Hebrews has. The word of God is the main thing. Oh, and he also created the world. How ridiculous it would seem. And yet, this is the magnificence of Jesus. That the afterthought is he also created the world. How high is our view of Jesus? It goes on in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the radiance. Jesus shines in brilliance. Brighter brighter, much brighter than any star. You know, we can't even look at the sun. And our sun isn't even a particularly bright star. Jesus. His brilliance, his glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. You know, what it's doing here is referring to the old way that um, letters would be signed. Those official royalty and and, and high up in, in society, they would use a stamp to sign their letters. They wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't sign physically like we would sign. They would use a stamp or a seal to say this is from them. And that's what it's referring to here is when it's saying that the imprint, that the stamper itself matched exactly to the seal. And that's what the writer is saying here, that, that Jesus is an exact imprint. You know, we can't see the Father. But Jesus said, look at me. If you see what I do and the way I am, you've seen the Father. We want to know how, what the Father God thinks about the poor the broken, the destitute. We just look at what Jesus was like with the poor, the broken, the destitute. We want to know what the Father is like with the lost and the sick and the hurting. We look at how Jesus is with the lost and the sick and the hurting. He's the exact imprint, the replica. It's so important that we grasp this. And this is why the the fuller version of the Nicene Creed came about, was because there was a a church leader called Arius who was basically saying there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. There was a time before the Son. Yeah, the Son's important, but he's, he's still a created being. He's a really amazing created being, but he's still created. And yet there were other church leaders like Athanasius who were saying no, No, don't go down that route. Jesus is fully God. He is God's son. He's not ever not existed. He's not created in any way. And we mustn't drift off and think that Jesus is some sort of lesser being. He is fully God. Verse 3 goes on. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus we're talking about. He upholds the universe. (laughs) we've only seen a tiny fraction of the universe and yet 
he upholds the whole lot by the word of his power. The universe's existence is down to Jesus' power being at work. Again, it's just dropped in at the end of a sentence, isn't it? Just dropped in. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is our magnificent Jesus. You know, if he was to stop upholding the universe, the universe universe would cease to exist. Think about like singing a note. A note only exists while it's being created. If I sing a note, the moment I stop, it stops. That is the sort of relationship this verse is telling us, Jesus with the universe, including us. We are sustained. Every moment of every day is sustained by the word of Jesus' power. your view being lifted this morning this is our Jesus this is who we sing about this is who we serve why would we ever mess with anything else when we know the awe and wonder of Jesus goes on after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I'm going to skip over this because we're coming back to it later on in the Creed. <coughs> For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? The answer is no, never, no, none of them. God's never said that to any of them because they're not. None of, no, nothing else that's ever been created, even mighty angels, God has said, you're my son, today I've begotten you. God creates planets, he creates angels, he creates us, but he begets Jesus. Jesus is begotten, not made. What does begotten mean? Well, it means generating something of the same substance, the same essence. It's different than creating. We can create something that's different from ourselves, but we beget something that's the same. You know, in preparing today's preach, I made, I created these notes. They're different than me. They're bits of ink on paper. In my life, I've only begotten two beings. They sat over there. Now, they're not exact imprints and replicas of me, but they're of the same substance. And this is the idea behind it. Jesus was never made, he's begotten. Verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by angels. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, and this is a slightly obscure verse being quoted from Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Slightly strange thing, especially to to Jewish listeners there. Therefore, God, your God, 
has anointed you with the oil of gladness. It seems to be referring to two different people, but talking about them as God. Now, for us, having greater revelation and having the full, fuller revelation that there is, God is three persons, we can kind of think, oh, okay, that begins. But it would, it's, it's shocking to Jewish listeners when they, when they had that sign, psalm, because it's saying, God, your God, looking to someone else, has anointed you. So we seem to have God the Father being referred to here in this verse, but also a human king who's also divine at the same time and identified as God who we now know as Jesus. Amazing statement, showing us how important it is to speak of God the Father as God, but also God the Son as God. And the final few verses of this passage. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. Now, all these created things, one day, including us, they all come to an end. They'll grow old, they'll grow weary, they'll wear out the garments. It'll be like a garment rolled up. But in contrast, Jesus, it says, you are the same and your years will have no end. All created things will wear out. They'll be rolled up. But he is not created He is not created. He will last forever. He is changeless. He's eternal. He's not a super created being. He is God. And chapter one finishes, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? But a final contrast between Jesus and angels. The Son has been given the highest honour over everything. His enemies are being gathered up so that they'll be made a footstool for Jesus. A footstool, it's just something you put your feet on. Now, the most incredible powers that rage and, and we see in the world, they're all being gathered up and they're going to be put under Jesus' feet. Often we can fall for the trap that's presented in, in films and things. That, you know, there, there's a fight between good and evil and it's so closely balanced. Which way is it going to go? And we only find out right at the end. And normally, if it's a decent film, good wins overall. It's not like that. It's never been a close contest in any way. Jesus reigns forever, supremely, far above any principality and power. Let's have a high view of Jesus. You know, it it was vital. It's vital that he was God because if he wasn't God, he couldn't save us. It's only because Jesus is the Son of God that we were saved. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men are able to become the sons of God. It's a good little phrase, that one, isn't it? I'd like to say it was mine, but it's actually Andrew Wilson's. With his incredible brain. I'll say it again. It's only because the Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons of men are able to become the sons of God. Jesus has made a way And that brings us on to the second chunk of our creed. 
oh, but it's nearly the end of the service. You're right, it's okay. I'm not going to spend nearly as long on this last one. And that's not to say this last point is any less important. It's really important that we know this. But I really felt God wanted us to lift our view of the Son, Jesus, today. And so to linger on that first point that he is God's Son, but he's also God incarnate. Jesus came down. And we did dwell on this a little bit just before Christmas, because that's generally the time of year we think about it. If you want to listen in, you can listen online from a preach I did back in December on the incarnation. But it's declaring here, Jesus, God's Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The Creed declares that Jesus, God's Son, became man. He became flesh, as it says in John 1, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You remember the story that we celebrated Christmas, this incredible thing. Angel Gabriel came down and he appeared to, G- to Mary and said, you've been chosen, you're favoured. You're going to have give birth to God's son. Mary says, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. And he goes on to say, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's truly difficult concept. Theologians have discussed it for years. Well, how did this work? What was going on? I don't get it. No, it is confusing. But we're talking about God. God can do all things. He came down. He came down as a man because of his love for us. Jesus came. Scandalous statement to say, God became flesh. But that's what we believe. That's what the scripture declares. He came down as fully God and fully man. He didn't stop being God when he came down. He remained fully God, but he took on something else that he hadn't yet been. He became fully man. And today in heaven, there is still Jesus, fully God, fully man. One person, two natures. He's not there as two persons. He's not part, part God, part man, as some kind of mythical creature. He didn't give up his deity when he came down, but he added his humanity too. He was born, he lived a human life, he experienced everything human, emotions, feelings, letdowns, disappointments. He faced it all, he led a life that was pure and holy. And when he came, God was declaring that he's not anti-creation because he got involved with it. He got stuck right in. He took on flesh himself. He was declaring that he has come to deal with the failings that we can't sort out. And he's saying that only he could do it. The virgin birth is impossible scientifically. Let's not beat around the bush. It is. Science cannot explain it. By God coming in this way, as Jesus coming in this way, he's saying salvation can only come through him. Man had no, nothing to do with it. When we say this part of the creed, it tells us that it's God who initiates and it's him who knows nothing of impossibilities. So what we're thinking about today is this chunk of the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus, God's Son and God incarnate. We're going to stand and worship Jesus to finish. If the band could come up. Jesus, the Word of God, the one from whom the world was made, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He's begotten of the Father, not made. He's worthy of worship. He's truly God. He's eternal. He's changeless. He's also the Word became flesh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of Mary. He lived, died and rose again. He will come again. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's coming later on. Let's stand, let's worship Jesus, Jesus, the name above every name.